Hello, my name is Anthony Hudson and welcome to my podcast, The Masterminds. Please join me every month as I bring interviews with some of the very best in the world of sports, from top football managers, sports psychologists and the leading experts in the world of analytics, team culture and leadership. Next up, I'd like to introduce someone who's a peak performance psychologist. He's also a speaker, an author, most recently of a book called The Future Coach. It's a fantastic book for coaches, but most significantly his work for Premier League and Championship clubs and players where he's doing some fantastic work. Please welcome Tom Bates. Tom, it's uh, it's really really good to speak to you. I appreciate you taking the time out. And um, and firstly, I just want to know a little bit about yourself professionally. You you know your background and just a little insight into the players and clubs you work with. Yeah, sure. First of all, Anthony, really good to speak to you too, mate. So uh, this is um, hopefully going to be worthwhile for everyone who listens and you know you and you and I as as always. So my name is uh, Tom Bates. I'm a performance psychologist. Um, in the early days, I qualified as a professional football coach and did my badges here in England, worked in the UK, started off at AFC Bournemouth, coaching in the Centre of Excellence, and then slowly worked my way up as a coach in the academy systems at Birmingham City Football Club and West Bromwich Albion here in the Midlands. And then I quickly progressed into the senior realms, um, working with the first teams over at Brentford and Aston Villa, taking a position as performance psychologist. After my coaching qualifications, I um, was very privileged to be surrounded, I guess, by you know top coaches, inspired coaches, coaches that seem to get the very best from their players and athletes and their teams on a regular basis. And it was then that I discovered that there's something beyond the X's and the O's, beyond strategy, beyond tactics. So I guess you could say that um, curiosity, that inquisitiveness led to my discovery of uh, psychology. And um, of course, that led to me studying sports psychology at undergraduate and uh, postgraduate level and uh, qualifying, you know, retraining as a performance psychologist to work with professional athletes, teams, coaches, managers, and um, my last full-time position was at Aston Villa Football Club, which was um, head of performance psychology and culture. And uh, having left there now, I work independently as a consultant, performance consultant with um, Premier League footballers, Championship, League One, uh, players across Europe and around the world, really, um, individually, and consult with Team GB ahead of the uh, Olympic Games um, in Japan, in Tokyo 2020. So that's a update. <laughs> that's the fast forward version. And um, here we are today. Tom, just, get, just give us a little insight into how you, work with, how you actually work with teams and how you work with players. Yeah, I mean, in its simplest form, really, you know, sports psychology, performance psychology, the way we think affects the way we feel. And those emotions or that emotional state, um, in the end, defines performance. So, but it all starts with a thought. So then the question arises, are we able to coach and improve and work on those mental processes 
you know, to be more confident, to become more resilient, to focus under pressure, to get the best from ourselves? And of course, the answer is yes. So when, you know, the technical tactical stuff is done on the training pitch and athletes get to the, the, the arena, what defines performance, all else being equal? Of course, it's those best prepared mentally and emotionally, psychologically. So typically, um, I'd work with players one-to-one in group sessions, in team sessions, leading up to the games in the week, if I'm working with a team. And uh, most often with the manager leading into um, the games throughout the week, thinking about the messages that we're sending to the players and the support staff as well. So it's a, it's a multi-level level approach really in a football club. And with, the, with Team GB, um, it's sort of a consultancy role that sees me work with the athletes themselves, with the support staff, and of course the senior management team. So it's, a, it's a quite a diverse role, multi-layered. Um, but you know, it's one that's really enjoyable. That's great. It's such an interesting, uh, it's such an interesting part of, of, of our world that we work in. We, we were talking the other day and we were talking about optimistic leadership. So in, in, installing a real powerful, you know, positive mental attitude is, is, is obviously key in, in high performance sport. If you're working with a manager, um, how how can you instill that in a manager? It's such a it's such a really important area, isn't it, for for any manager out there at any level? Because essentially, they are the managers themselves are the architects of the emotional climate. They create the mood, whether they're aware of it or not. And so, you know, typically at the highest level, as you already know, mate, that the turnover of uh, managers. Um, the tenure, the longevity is getting less and less. And so in that industry at the highest level, that can, if managers aren't careful, create a level of insecurity because how long have I got left in this job? I needed to get results yesterday. Um, What will the board say? What's the chairman going to do? Is my position under threat? And of course that threat causes insecurity. And so that insecurity, that a manager may feel is very easily transferred subconsciously consciously to the team to the players to the support staff which can really create an emotional climate that is not one that is conducive to help human beings to flourish to make sure that potential reveals itself and that players and people are positive and optimistic so optimistic leadership really is starts the first base of optimistic leadership is about self-awareness am i aware of how i'm feeling and and am i aware of how my behavior today is going to create the emotional climate for others so self-awareness is a really key one and that bit about positive you know optimistic leadership is much more than this sort of blue sky thinking it's a in fact the science and neuroscience now is so well corroborated that, it, that it's uh, become unequivocal to be proven that at a, at a molecular level, at a, at a neurological level, at a hormonal level, the coin phrase is happy hormones, but at a hormonal level, at a you know, deep scientific rigorous um, evidence now exists to say that um, optimistic thoughts, thoughts of we can, thoughts of um, hope, thoughts of faith, lead to human beings, not just managers or leaders, um, every human being, leading a happier, healthier, 
more fulfilled life. And that is contagious to everyone, you know, um, as attitude is contagious. Um, and so that's really what optimistic leadership uh, is really all about. Um, very pragmatically seeking solutions, finding the reasons why we can and not allowing the noise and distraction of doubt to get in the way of what we're trying to achieve, irrelevant of how much time we have. And so optimistic leadership starts with self-awareness first. Thomas, you want to, I just want to jump in there. So obviously you come in as a manager, you come into work every day and uh, you have you have a plan where well, you have your weekly plan. You, you're preparing for a game. You have an idea of how you how you want things to go during the week. But then, as you know, every day you're faced with problems that arise in in, in football clubs, um, the, the, the wreckage of the weekend or the success of the weekend, player issues, whatever it may be, staff issues. Yeah. Um, so, so you're faced with these challenges every single day. Um, when we're talking about you, you mentioned at the beginning about that there, there comes a level of insecurity around the manager's job. Mm -hmm. How how does how does a manager, because there are there are certain managers, the top top managers, they almost seem bulletproof. So if you mm -hmm. want a, a manager to become bulletproof, how how does he approach every day with regards to this, trying to find? the opportunity as opposed to threats and not being not having a level of insecurity every day that is a really really um great question um and you know i can only really tell you what i've experienced myself and um but that that fundamentally this is one of the most important things that i've found is the difference between the great managers compared with the good ones you know, if we if we look at the, the managers that we're right now, I mean, you know, Pep Guardiola and everything he's achieved, Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, classic example, classic example. You know, uh, he has this sort of charisma, doesn't he? If, if you ever listen to him in the media and him speaking after games, he doesn't he doesn't seem to really change that level of um, belief in what he's doing and what the team is doing, and he always seems to focus on the progress and the development. And that's really key point because we all get challenged, as you've just said, every single day. Football is a constant everyday battle, isn't it? Throws up challenges day after day, hour after hour. And then we got the game and that can go either way. So, so much can happen in a football club in a week, in a day, in, a, in, a, in an hour. And there are going to be multiple challenges. But the way that we see those challenges is really what is the critical piece in this puzzle. Because if I feel insecure and a challenge comes along, like, a, like the player example we spoke about or for a manager, and I perceive that as a threat, it's a threat to my reputation, it's a threat to my job, it's a threat to my place in the team, right? Or I can see that as an opportunity. Now, what we perceive, whether it's reality or not, will become true for us. You know, as the Buddha, I think, once famously said, what we believe, we become. What we believe about ourselves, we become. So when I've worked with some of the most inspired and energized managers who, who see opportunity in any given situation, regardless of how big the setback, um, they're able to change their mindset. They go from negative to positive. They become their own belief partner, in a sense. And that is contagious to every, it gives everybody else the um, permission to respond 
in the, in the same way. And so all of a sudden, a, a Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, I don't know if you ever remember a classic case where West Brom drew with Liverpool at Anfield 2-2, and I think Liverpool came from behind, and the, Jurgen Klopp got all of the whole team to go hand in hand up to the cop and put their arms in the air and bow, and then put the arms in the air again and bow again. And the fans responded. There was an emotional connection to them. The press in England absolutely, they criticised Jürgen Klopp and said things like, a mediocre Liverpool draw 2-2 and celebrate. They should be ashamed of themselves. And that was on the back of a lot of tabloids over here. And, you know, he, despite of that barrage of skeptic scepticism in the media, he remained true to what he believed in. Even if others, external forces, other people around him, the media, perhaps the fans, or, or even the chairman, the board of directors, I think it comes down to this. How much do you really believe in what you're doing? And how much can you follow through with that, despite the circumstances, despite the results, despite the performances, despite the seemingly... Um, you know, scarce evidence that what you're doing tactically is going to work. Or the, now, I'm not saying not change. Not, I'm not saying you become unable to adapt and be flexible. I'm saying at a deeper value, how much do you believe in what you're trying to do? Because it seems to me that Jurgen Klopp, after that 2-2 draw with Liverpool, was completely unfazed by any of the noise of the meet. You know, he just stuck. He remained true to what he believed in. He knew the plan. And he, was, he seemed unfazed. And the other thing is, you know, if it's true that manager got, managers have got less and less time right now, if that's true, right, as it is, then even if you get the least amount of time, do it in your own way. Do it yeah. the way you believe in. Do it the way you believe that it should be done. Because anything other than that is a disservice to yourself. And yeah. eventually... And eventually, you know, um, uh, the environment starts to suffer anyway, because players can pick up on that, right? They're aware of when a manager is being themselves or not, or trying to be something that they're not. You hear it all the time. I've seen that lots in, in periods where I've been working with clubs and managers are trying to be, or coaches are trying to be, or staff are trying to be something that they're not. The most powerful thing in the world is to be that which you are, not to try to be anyone else but you. And, you know, so I would say, Optimistic leadership is about a manager believing in himself, being himself, living out who he is or she is every single day, despite the, you know, being prepared to suffer the slings and the arrows. And if it does come down to the fact that you're going to be sacked because you did it your way, well, it's better to be sacked doing it your way than to be sacked trying to be something else to someone else. It's easy to lose who you are. It's easy to lose your way as a manager because leadership can be lonely, can't it? Leadership can be a lonely place, especially when the final decision lies with you. So a large amount of my role with a manager working on optimistic leadership is to be, is to listen, is to really get in tune with the challenge, you know, the challenge that they're facing and to help them think about and find and respond in a positive way for the benefit of themselves and, and the whole team behind them. Tom, as you're saying that, something's come to my mind, and, and it's interesting. Since I've done these these uh, interviews, I've had a lot of coaches at, at many different levels um, respond and give feedback, and, but also ask questions 
really relative to their level that they're coaching at. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, as you're talking about this, I, I remember, Tom, I don't know if I've shared this with you, but when I was coaching in Bahrain, um, I got invited to Real Madrid when Mourinho was there. He invited me and I asked and, and he arranged uh, a time for me to come in. And I was, as you can imagine, any coach going to spend time with Mourinho, I was so excited, so looking forward to it. And anyway, I don't know if you remember, but it was the time when he dropped Casillas and the whole of Spain was against him. And there was a massive rift between Barcelona and Madrid and Mourinho was seen as a person behind it. And then the results started turning and everyone was against Mourinho. And I remember on the Sunday night before I was supposed to go there on the Monday, I was supposed to fly on the Monday to Madrid. I'm sitting in my apartment in Bahrain and they lost 4-0 to Malaga. Pellegrini was coaching. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching the game on my couch and I'm like, there's no... that." He, first of all, he's getting crucified in the country. He's the public enemy number one. And then I'm th- I'm, as I'm watching the goals going, I'm saying to myself, there's no way he's going to invite me in. No way. The trip's dead. He's not. It's over. And I remember Sunday... This was Sunday night. I just... I sent a te- um, an email to him and said, um, my flight's booked for tomorrow, just confirming, training, blah, blah, blah. And he came straight back to me with a s- smiley face. No problem. See you then. I remember I turned up to training that week and he was he offered me his time. He was so open with what he was doing, his training methods. They played Real Sociedad the weekend after and he showed me the game preparation. He told me stories about the players. He was so open. Now, my, my, as you were telling, saying what you were saying, what I was blown away by was in that crisis, mm-hmm. Mourinho acted as if, and he came across as if someone that had won 10 straight games on the bounce. There was no sign of any panic, insecurity, anything. So, I, but my question is this, because it's all very well, I think, and a lot of the coaches that have spoke to me and given me feedback after these interviews, um, you know, with all due respect, not there's no one really at Mourinho's level. And so when, when you're talking, I'm, I've written down here, is someone able to be that bulletproof in that situation because of financial reasons, because they know they've got millions behind them? Is it because of a, a level of success they've had in previous uh, jobs? Is it what you said earlier, uh, belief and a, a certain identity about themselves? Or, or do, do certain coaches, do you have to fake it to you? You know, so w- w- can you sort of give us your feedback on that situation? What you think would be behind someone being able to respond in that way? First of all, that is an absolutely, um, that's a fantastic story in itself. I mean, you did, you did share that with me actually some years back, but it's always great to hear that. And, you know, when you said about the word crisis, first of all, with Mourinho, um, you know, this seemingly, he is a man who at that moment was celebrating the crisis because, and how did he, how did he find confidence in celebrating in that crisis? Because I'm pretty sure that he had an unshakable belief in what he was doing. And not only that, but trusted the process, regardless of the outcome, regardless of the, you know, Right, this might be the case right now, but trust me, in a couple of weeks, you're going to see. No, 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 trust me, trust me. You know, in a couple of weeks, this is what's going to happen. Just watch. And so that unshakable, you know, unbreakable faith in the game plan, in his coaching methods, um, temporary setback, long term 
solution, long-term outcome, long-term process. That's what his focus was. And so he's, he's not getting distracted again by the noise. And in, in those positions, um, I think there is something about a manager. I mean, I've never worked with a Jose Mourinho at that level. Um, you know, but I remember a very difficult patch at um, Aston Villa uh, when the manager, Steve Bruce, was um, first came into his post. And I was my job was, was working with the first team. And we went on a run of maybe six or seven games where we, um, we, we weren't getting the results. We weren't winning games. And the fans slowly started to turn. And Villa, Aston Villa is the fifth most successful football club. In, in English football history. Um, and we were in a point where the club were in the championship and needing to get back to the Premier League yesterday. So it's a high-pressure environment and the expectation is huge. But I remember uh, Steve Bruce coming into the training ground one day after the sixth or seventh game in a row when pressure was obviously building and the, the boys were out training and the staff were at it. And I remember how how in, you know, much the staff, were, coaches were trying to get the, the sessions right and the players were aware of it and everybody rolled their sleeves up. It was a hard-working atmosphere, doing everything we possibly could, almost trying too hard. And Steve Bruce came in, uh, the manager came in, in his wellies, walking his boxer dog around the park. And I remember him letting the dog off and the dog was running across the training pitch and jumping around the players and the staff and smiles on the faces of people around, you know? And uh, he said good morning to everybody and had a quick chat and said one or two bits and pieces and walked out. Now that is, whether that comes with experience or whether that comes with learning a few things along the way, but undoubtedly during that moment, um, he was managing the emotion. He was almost saying to everybody, listen, we're doing everything we can. Let's keep going. Let's stay together. Let's keep working hard and it will turn. And, you know, it did turn and it released the pressure valve, I think, in that moment. Um, simple things like that. But I think, um, you know, there's no secret recipe. There's no magic wand. But I think there are common denominators. Um, it is, first of all, the unshakable belief the unbreakable faith in the process, not the outcome, regardless of the immediate situation, is the ability to manage yourself and your own emotions, to stay positive during those times, and the knowledge that that will affect and influence others. Um, and of course, for coaches out there that are listening to this thinking, you know, I haven't worked at Jose Mourinho's level, I haven't worked at, you know, in the championship, getting a club, you know, promoted to the Premier League, I'm not at that level yet. I'm not at that level yet. But there is still the capacity to back yourself. It's a constant act of courage and action. That's where confidence as a coach comes from, right? Stepping out there onto the pitch for the first time with a new group or a new group of players. Um, or perhaps you've got a promotion and you're working at the senior level for the first time and you've just worked in an academy, whatever it is, or you've just gone into an academy for the first time. It's, it's those acts of courage and action, you know, to be confident to try something. And just like the players, it won't always work first time. And that's a great thing. It, it might not always be successful. But the thing is, it's in those moments where it doesn't quite work, where we have the opportunities as coaches to learn the most about ourselves, about everybody else. And so to remain separate from the outcome, trusting the process, 
acting confidently in action, putting it out there, being vulnerable, Anthony, as well. That's a really, I don't think we understand the power of vulnerability. You know, there is this idea that we see the gods like Mourinho in the coaching world and we have to be like that, right? How do we, they just seem to be un, untouchable. How do we get to be like that, untouchable? But I think behind the scenes, one of the great secrets is that they don't pretend to be untouchable. That's the other thing. They're not afraid of sharing the difficulties with their staff, with their, with their athletes, with their players, with their team. The best managers that I've ever worked for have been confident enough to say, I'm actually having a hard time with this. This is a difficult situation and here's why. And it's in those moments that, you know, you think it's counterintuitive, right? As a coach, we think, no, we've got to be seen as bulletproof. But it's a funny thing. The more we're able to be, to share our vulnerability, I think it helps others to feel like it's okay to be vulnerable themselves, be that your players, be that your staff, be that, the, you know, the chairman. We're all human beings. And um, when managers, when the leaders are able to be openly vulnerable, to share in that space, it's a power that can unleash so much more potential in the players, in the teams to succeed. Yeah. Tom, I want to touch on that uh, that point there after this question I want to ask, but I, I want to come back to that because that's, that's re I'm really intrigued by that. Um, I, I've always found, Tom, I, I'm, so, I'm someone as a, as a person, as a person first, but certainly as a manager, I love routine. If, if I've got routine in my life, um, it, it helps me so much. But certainly recovering from setbacks, let's just say you have a bad result. You, you have the disappointment the night of the result and it's, and it's tough and it, and it, and it hurts you. Then you wake up the next day and then you say, right. And you, and you look for a solution. And I think what always helps me um, in, after setbacks is, is analyzing the situation, mm -hmm. getting to the bottom of why things happened the way they did, then finding a solution. And it's almost like, I have to I have to really put in the work in the hours and the um, the analysis and and really and then there comes a moment where I see it and then I find the solution and and then I feel positive then I feel proactive then I feel like I'm taking control of the situation and then I'm able to go to the team and the staff and and give direction about this is this is what happened and this is what we're going to do about it and these are the positive so but what my question to you is with with that because that almost gives you belief in, in in what you're doing in terms of going through a process and and basically putting the hours in and and the reason i, I want to ask this in a way that it can help coaches that are making their way up in the game and like how how because we talked before about belief and identity how can how can younger coaches how can youngest coaches really build that belief uh, with regards to uh, being able to show up every day in your job uh, with your staff, with your team, and and have that much belief where you can lead people, is is the, are there processes? Are there things you can do in the, you know, on your, you know, in the background, in your, you know, on your way, on your development? Is there things you can do to to build that belief? That's a really really great point, mate. I um, I really think that whatever level that you're at as a coach. Um, there are, there's a common denominator that connects those that, that are on a developing pathway through the academies or you know, leading up, those that just got involved in a senior game, and the, and, and the coaching um, Galacticos. I think there's something that connects them all, the best ones. And that is that, that 
it's a constant and never-ending journey of learning. We're all learning. And if we approach our jobs, you know, um, our, our, our journey ahead in the spirit of learning, then I think that changes everything. It gives us permission to say, you know what, we're not the finished article right now, but exactly what you just said, we're going to do everything possible to do everything I can to be in the best possible shape for today, for this moment. If it's a game, have I prepared the team tactically? If we didn't quite get the right result last weekend, did I sit and analyze with my team? If I don't have a team, did I sit and watch the video myself? If I don't have a video, did I, can I think back to the main pictures in the game that I, that I saw? You know, Have I spoken to others who watched the game? And, and go through that process because we're not talking about, you know, esteem pills here. We're not talking about a magic wand. We're talking about a very real pragmatic. I love what you said about process and how that gave you confidence. And when you saw the solution, you became confident because you had clarity and clarity builds confidence. So whatever level of a co whatever level you're at as a coach, I think if you know that you're all, that we're all always learning, even the very best. And that's, in fact, that's one of the things that makes them the very best at the highest level, both players and coaches and managers, that they know that they're learning constantly. And what does that really mean, you know, pragmatically? It means that it's every day is a learning day. Every performance is a learning opportunity. Every result is a learning opportunity. Um, and so when you approach, you know, coaching with that mindset, it becomes very powerful, um, gives you permission to make mistakes sometimes, as long as you learn from them and go again. But the key bit is, what are we meant to be learning here? And if you if you approach that, that um, every day of the week when you work with your players, they're trying to get better. You're trying to get better. We're, we share that together. And that's a process that can fuel not just you know, positive, the positive emotional climate, but it can also give me the belief in myself when things don't quite go my way as a coach, I'm learning. I'm still learning. I'm learning every day. And if, and if I say this to the players all the time, if you can look at yourself and it's very cliche and it's extremely corny, but it is true. It's very true. If you can look at yourself in the mirror or go home at night and when your head hits the pillow, and you know you've done absolutely everything you possibly could with what you had and how you knew at that time. And there's nothing more that you could have done. Then that is winning. That is success. I wanted to circle back to this, uh, what, you, what you said before about vulnerability. And, and I want to tie it in with, with really, rela my main question is about relationships, building relationships with your players. So uh, it, it, this has been a um, it's been an interesting one for me because I think when you're a young coach, you know I I, I was a head coach when I was was well, I started coaching professionally when I was 25 I think it was as, as an assistant manager and then obviously a lot of the players were older than me. Then my first manager's job I think head coaching job I think I was 27. And I think when you're a young coach, you're you lean heavily on your expertise. So I think the way you gain, certainly in my experience, the way you gain ex um, respect from the players 
is having really good knowledge and showing up every day and showing the team that uh, that you can make the team better and make them better as individuals. I think that's where you gain respect um, as a coach, but even more so as a younger manager, because you've got nothing really to to uh, give you credibility straight away walking in. And the age thing is tricky. And I think what I've found uh, in the past is the, the the closeness of the relationship between coach and player when you're younger is one you have to be really careful with. And also, in the background, my experience has been that I've gone and studied some top, top managers. And I've been really torn with this because I've seen, and we've spoke about certain managers in the past, Tom, and I'm, I'm not going to name any names, but... Um, there's certain managers that have zero zero relationship with their team, with their players. Zero relationship. They just want to give them the game plan, the tactics, keep them accountable. That's it. And then you have the other managers that are so close with the players, so close with the team, very, very close relationships. Um, so my, my, my question is, and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but I'm really interested to get your your thoughts on this. Like, How important is... Uh, a, in relation to results, in relation to getting performance out of players, in relation to winning games, how important is a coach-player relationship being closed, far away, open, closed? Uh, what's your thoughts on that, Tom? Oh, wow. That's, that is such a big question. Um, <laughs> because as you're speaking, I'm thinking about all of the different managers who have who I've worked with in the past that especially at senior level that have done it differently. <laughs> so I uh, I absolutely agree with you um, in in the sense that there that there isn't I can't fundamentally say to you that there is one way to be that got the most from the group of players because every set of players has been different and every manager has been different. But, you know, it's back to, um, I think, there is this phrase by Maya Angelou, isn't there, that, that I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. I don't know, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. And I think at the foundation level of all relationships, that is a fundamental truth. Um but second to that, it then comes understanding, because I've worked with managers in the past that have been quite emotional, would you know, love to sit down and get to know the person, want to have breakfast, get to know the wives and girlfriends' names and, and birthdays of the children and all of this. And that's worked for some players. But other players, in this case, more senior at the time, didn't want to know. They just wanted to know, what's the game plan? How are we going to get the result? And let's move on. Let's keep it professional in, in their eyes. So, I mean, there's so many different ways to do it. And I've seen those ways be successful each way, always be successful. But I think um, this, this point, I'm going to tie in this concept of being vulnerable with authenticity. Because an understanding. Vulnerability authenticity and understanding if we're able to be vulnerable to be openly ourselves 
in front of everybody without fear of being judged or how they're going to be perceived or in the end, in the end, you know, I once had a coach say to me, Tom, it takes, it takes a coach six weeks to figure out his players. It takes a player six minutes to figure out his coach. And I never forget that. And, and what does that mean, figure out his coach? That means that players very quickly, you know, as, as students do at school, figure out their teachers very quickly, what they can get away with, what, they, what jokes they like, how they can, you know, can they misbehave, get their, where are the boundaries? And all of that goes on very, very quickly. So if you are not really being true, if, you've, if you're, you know, hiding that part of yourself, eventually the players will figure that out quite, quite quickly. Um, and other people as well. So authenticity, being, being courageous enough to be vulnerable, being authentic to yourself, and constantly, the third one is understanding, constantly seeking to understand others to understand the way people think, the way the players think, how they feel, to see the world through the eyes of the players. That's what the great coaches do. They see the world through the eyes of their players and the team. They don't look from their own perspective, but they place themselves in the positions of their players. And, you know, when it comes down to relationships, we, um, at Brentford, there was a model, and I don't mind sharing this with you, that we, it's very simple, three Cs. Um, we were looking at coaches to define really what type of a coach we were going to recruit and what type of a coach could lead our teams. And we came down to three things that were most important. Character. How did they respond in a difficult, in a tough times, in adversity? Have they got, to, have they got the character to remain positive, to stay full of belief, to lead others? Character. Second one, chemistry. Can they build relationships quickly with their team, with their players? Third one, so we've got character, we've got chemistry, and we've got competence. Can they actually do the job? Do they have the skill set to be able to deliver what the team needs? And so character, chemistry, and competence, I think that's quite a simple way to think about, you know, we're talking about here, um, retaining a belief, being optimistic as a leader, um, getting the best from your players with the relationships. But I think I'll come back to my first part on this, Anthony, which is that quote by Maya Angelou, which is, um, you know, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. I think that in the end, that's one of the things that connects all of the different managers across all the teams I've worked with. Yeah, that, that's great, Tom. And I, I think as well, as you're talking there, I think one thing that is overlooked by it can be overlooked certainly coaches I've spoke to and it's not it's not one glove glove fits all and I, I think you when you walk into a team it's always about coaching the context that, you, mm-hmm. that you're working in so when you sit there at the beginning about different managers have different relationships and they've done it different ways well you know, I, I I truly don't believe there is one right or wrong way. I just think well, as you, you as an individual, everything you've said there is brilliant. Being authentic, being, authentic, being vulnerable, uh, understanding that, you know, really seeking to understand. And I, I, the, the, the key is you have to, you know, to be yourself, um, mm. but 
also coach the context that you're working in because I might have a blueprint of how I want to do things that might go into another team very soon and the tools and the resources and the people that we have may not match exactly to what fits in my blueprint. So it's uh, it's uh, something that I think that is a, that is really the skill in itself as well, going in and assessing the situation and then leading from there. Absolutely. Absolutely great point. Well, Tom, listen, as always, it's uh, so interesting to talk to you. That's really, really interesting, really insightful. And I just thank you so much, Tom, for taking the time out to speak to us. You know what? Thank you very much, Anthony. And not just for spending the time as well, but thank you for doing this for all the coaches out there that are going to be listening to this. You know, this is um, every time I speak with you, I always feel uplifted. I always feel like I'm learning something um, from you equally. And so um, I really mean that. And thanks on behalf of everybody. I really hope that this this helps. You know, if it helps one person, then it would have been a success. So um, thanks for also sharing your experiences and your time, mate. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate that.